0: Hello and welcome to The Bonfire. I'm your host, Sal, and today we are reviewing Daredevil Season 3. Now, before we get into the review, I want to explain why I haven't been posting lately. School has been keeping me super busy, and unfortunately, when that happens, projects like my podcast have to go on the back burner. But I am so excited to get back into posting and to have some great friends on the podcast. So without further ado, let's review Daredevil Season 3. Let's wait for an awkward silence before we know what to talk about.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, hi.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, Johnny, look away when you laugh. I know. I'm trying to remember to. okay? (laughs) Because his laughs are so loud that it spikes the whole... Look. I mean, look at that. He he laughed once, and now all the listeners, all of their ears are just blown out. (laughs) Because Johnny had to laugh at something. <laughs> Could you just like stop yeah. laughing?
1: On the bright side, it probably like hits their bass real well. You got some subs, yeah, just no. like the subwoofers
0: are just Johnny's laughter. Just
1: <laughs> oh, oh, this oh, like... oh, oh, oh. <laughs>
0: is like this weird groaning sound. <laughs> we gotta do our facial warm ups.
1: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> la, la, what did awesome. you do to die today? What did you do to die today? today, today what did you do to die today? You today. Yeah. Betty butter, butter, Betty Butter. I think, butter, I think I'm, butter, I'm going to go butter. grab I'm a Nikko soda. I'm I'm butter, butter. Butter. <is butter. laughs> she Betty some really good content right now. This
0: is worthy of WNYC. Why does Betty need butter? Why is
2: Betty...
1: To put it in her batter. But why would she... Why can't she just go get Chinese? Well, maybe what, she did, wants she to cook.
2: Thing? Well, she can cook anything but the butter with the, the, and the bat. Like, why? Maybe she's making a cake. Well, look how stressful her situation's become.
1: I know. So, I mean, honestly, she should have just abandoned baking altogether.
2: And we have a vocal exercise d- d- like dedicated completely to not yeah. not Clearly, it was straight. like some
1: major trauma. Oh, man. Betty
0: bought a, bought a, a better b- bitter than the bitter butter. <laughs> she said,
2: she said <laughs> the butter's bitter, but she never even tried to put the bitter butter in the
1: batter.
0: Well, she I knew if she it. put
1: it in her batter, it would make the batter bitter. Well, how, how All how right, she, all right. How long right. did she have that butter before it went bitter? That's exactly what I'm asking. Yeah, butter stays good for a D- while. Does she butter go bitter? bitter? I don't think so. I don't know. I don't know if it goes bitter. unless it was like goat
2: butter, maybe. I mean, goat butter. Even then, yeah. like you have to do a lot to make goat butter bitter <laughs> in a batter. Yeah,
0: like do do a lot <laughs> to the butter, or like, what, like Yeah, <laughs> what did you do to
2: the butter to make it bitter? Like <laughs> this is your fucking fault,
0: and, but but why why is goat? butter <laughs> to make bitter it just because it just is I just because it's just not like normal butter sandwich. we don't have
1: what? it as protect perfected you know yeah we've I been mean, doing butter for ages preservatives so we got that more right. abundant. right yeah. okay yeah.
0: so i'm joined by fuck johnny betty. and sean today <laughs>
1: fuck betty yeah, fuck Betty. <laughs> Fucking Betty. Oh, oh, that
0: is also, forget Daredevil season three. Fuck Betty. That's that's the new name <laughs> of fuck the Betty. Podcast. This is our forty-minute
1: podcast about the vocal warm-up. Betty bought bought some butter. <laughs> yeah, and if, if you're if you're unfamiliar,
0: just go look it up because uh, what we're talking about is really intriguing.
1: It's a riveting tale about butter and batter,
2: and it's just it's just a very messed up situation that no human should ever 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 involve themselves into. But yes. Guys, fuck Betsy. Melvin Potter Betsy. can do whatever he wants. Betty. No, <laughs> no, Betsy good because Melvin Potter is a part of Daredevil. He's
1: oh, like, he's yeah. segwaying us in. Oh,
0: see? Good podcasting. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Alright, so let's do a couple formal introductions. I am Sal. I'm the host of the Bonfire Podcast. And we're going to be reviewing Daredevil Season 3. To my left is...
1: I'm Johnny. I am Sal's part-time lover and full-time clown. I am Sean. I am Johnny's
2: full-time lover and probably the most uneducated comic book student ever to
1: exist. Oh, I don't know about that. I am over here, too. Well, to be honest, you know a lot about everything, Johnny. I just know a lot about bullshitting.
0: No, it's, it's okay. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a TV show,
1: guys. So. Oh, 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 I've oh. got TV shows down. Wait, Ooh, did, yeah. did, uh, did you guys watch it? So. <laughs> this is the one with uh, Ben the, Affleck, right? The horny guy, right? The horny.
2: guy. The blind one. Vince Vaughn is in it, right? Yeah. Don't they don't they go to a kitchen and they're like, "This is hell," and they just call it Hell's Kitchen. Yeah,
1: I think so, right? And Gordon Ramsay shows Gordon up. Gordon Ramsay
2: shows up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gordon Ramsay shows up, and then the big bald dude comes in. Uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah, Sha- uh, Brock Lesnar.
1: Octop- Brock Lesnar yep. comes in. Yep. Dwayne, yep. The Dwayne the Rock, Rock Johnson. Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah,
2: he he co-stars. Yeah. He actually plays the love interest of mm-hmm. of, of, of Brock Lesnar as. There's a whole sex scene committed to just showing the, the connection. <laughs> nice. <vigilantes. laughs> we're,
0: we're just going to let you struggle. <laughs> um, oh, okay, so I can't even focus now. All right, so we're going to start off with kind of generally our thoughts about the, the Daredevil Season 3 as a whole. And then we're going to go into some more uh, specific questions that I had. Uh, about daredevil season three that i want to hear both of your opinions about uh also this is really special because this is the first time i've ever had two people on my podcast Mm. usually it's only one you both have been on multiple of my podcasts so this is super exciting to get all of us in one room it's also really special because i haven't posted in a while so this will be the first time uh that i've posted in a while and it'll be cool to have both of you on with me
1: it's a thanksgiving treat a menage podcast
0: all right so let's go into the general review about the podcast um, you know I hate this question but you know did you like it did you not like it and then we'll go more specifically into you know what moments in particular who do you want to field this one first who wants
1: to feel it Sean?
2: um yeah sure uh, so you know I have my I have like I have complaints obviously I have complaints about anything I watch but overall I liked it a lot I liked it a lot just because not to go too deep but um, we we saw a lot about Uh, what Matt has been struggling through his whole life when it came to his abilities and his morals and to see this complete turnaround of him being this you know straightforward Catholic vigilante and that most of his actions do reflect off of his Catholic beliefs and to see in this season that all of a sudden he's like you know screw that like I'm gonna take on the kind of mentality that Frank Castle had I thought it was really really cool to see that devilish part of him kind of uh, come up to the surface and not entirely break through
0: yeah, I think that's really true, and and the the I I talked to both of you about this, but the one line that I thought was so cheesy because you said he's kind of embracing his his inner Frank Castle, mm-hmm. and the the line where he saves the the woman the and hospital. and they're in the hospital, and he goes and she goes, "Thank God," and he's like, "God didn't do anything for you,
1: I did," mm-hmm. and I was like,
0: "Come on!" <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, Johnny.
0: Uh, in uh, general, yeah. in general,
1: thoughts? I thought the season as a whole was very good the the storytelling and plot was incredible honestly mm-hmm. I think it blew the other two out of the water but the individual episodes I in individually nothing really hooked me in the episodes as as they came together in the end it was really good but every moment leading up to it nothing really felt significant mm-hmm. especially the uh, the
2: Karen episode and
1: we talked oh, about yeah. this in the hallway the other day yeah um I mean spoilers obviously.
0: Oh yeah, no, no, no! Oh, everybody yeah. knows in this podcast that ah, spoilers don't matter. Unless this
1: is their first episode, then yeah. spoilers matter. So spoilers. yeah,
0: spoilers, everybody. Here we go. All the time.
2: Yeah. So that episode called Karen, where we see the first like twenty to thirty-five minutes of that episode, committed completely to just showing Karen before her life in New York. Um, cocaine, Karen. Cocaine, cocaine, Karen. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Crack, Karen. Like I was, I. It was interesting to see that. I love seeing these backstories, but I don't like how. Um, those backstories don't necessarily connect with what is currently happening in the show. Um, when it came to the church scene right after, I expected Karen to just completely be removed from the show, just to be killed off. Because in the comics, you know, Bullseye does kill her in a church, in a chapel. And I was, like, so ready to see that happen, but, you know, alas, it didn't, and Karen was still integral, I guess, to the to the, to the the show. I mean, yeah.
1: she was ultimately the thing that turned Matt back
2: around. He, yeah. She was. No, that's very true.
0: And that's I definitely true. think that if... Uh, they had kind of that moment where they all became friends again, Matt, Karen, and Foggy. Because we saw that at the very end of the season, but maybe if they had all come together earlier in the season and then there was a couple episodes left, I think Karen definitely would have died. Oh, yeah. But the way they did it is I think we wanted to see all of them come back together eventually.
2: And Johnny made a good point. He said maybe that that episode of Karen was supposed to give us some context of her life, of her... um, Of, you know, why she's doing the things she's doing. And she's not just some random person who, you know, took the Union ally corrupt files and, you know, decided to expose them just because she felt like being a good Samaritan. No, there's so much more behind Mm -hmm. her story. She has a past that she's trying to make up for. And, and again, Johnny, you talked about how, like, this may... um, Something may come up in a future season where we see this backstory and then Karen will, you know, face the consequences of her actions and then we'll be like, oh, you know,
1: that's a really interesting arc. Yeah, while it doesn't really fit in the storytelling they were doing Mm -hmm. in this season... It ultimately makes her a stronger character and gives more depth to her that hopefully we'll see them play off of later. I definitely agree. Mm-hmm.
0: So let's go back to um, kind of our general thoughts because we're going to be talking about a lot of Karen later on. Um, in my opinion, it started off a little slow, but I think that uh, all the the Marvel TV shows are a little guilty of that—just starting off a little slow. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't like
1: watching three episodes of Matt just like punching no. air? Just like sulking? <laughs> yeah, Sweet so God. so I, <laughs> I stubbed my toe again, ow.
0: <laughs> so, so I thought it was pretty slow and then it really picked up into this interesting story. I'd say uh, one thing that got a little exhausting to watch were the emotional monologues that kept happening. I feel like this started around Daredevil Season 2 when Frank Castle had that really amazing monologue sitting in the graveyard. Um, and it was so powerful, and it was so amazing, but I think maybe they're kind of overusing that. you know we get all like every single character in this season had this long emotional
1: monologue, oh, yeah, like um, the second or third episode was fisk's monologue in the f b i van
0: and it just got it just got yeah. a little too i don't I don't even know how to describe it it got a little too artsy, a little too.
1: It was a bunch of characters telling their own stories and not interacting with each other at some points. Yeah,
0: and and those monologues are really interesting and they definitely have their place, but uh, it got a little tiring to watch this after a while. But... Despite that, the storytelling and, and the whole entire plot was, was incredible to be able to follow along with and to slowly figure out and put the puzzle pieces together, uh, figuring out uh, Kingpin's plan throughout the entire season and what was going on. And so that was that was super satisfying to watch and a lot of fun to watch. Um, and then the fight scenes were just out of this world. All the fight scenes were some of the best that, that any of the Marvel TV shows has ever showcased. So... Yeah, I think there's a lot of positives, but there there are a couple pretty distracting negatives for me as well. Oh, absolutely. Well. Um, let's move on to just talking about a particular moment uh, that you really thought, and just give a couple thoughts on on a really really intense, significant moment uh, that you that really connected with you, Sean. Um,
2: hmm. off the top of my head, I'd have to go with the very end of um, the the fight that happens between. Matt uh, King, uh, Poindexter and Kingpin, uh, Kingpin. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to I'm not listen to oh, this
1: oh the like 20 way. minute fight yeah. yeah yeah that was so good It's the,
2: the very ending of that when Matt is like this close to breaking his neck and just scream like yelling mm-hmm. at him telling him I and beat then he you. takes
0: off his mask yeah. and he's like yeah he's that like, was super cool
2: I think it's just I, that was one of the best moments I've seen in really any superhero film or TV series just because it, it shows that he won he actually won it wasn't a I saved the day it was I won I beat you this has gone on for as long as we can remember, and as much as you were a threat to everybody else, you were not a threat to me, cause now and he yeah he took tra- he, tra- he took off his mask and he showed him who he is, and it just kind of went to show that, um, you know, despite his his trauma, despite the anger that he has towards God and his like religious beliefs, when it came to that moment of him, you know, being able to kill, he was beating the crap out of him. He could have killed him with one more punch, but he he stuck to his belief of like there will be justice, but I'm the one that's gonna like put you in this place of vulnerability. And our like, system will deal with you. Yeah, our system yeah. will deal with you, but I will be the one to drag you to the ground. Like it put you down to the ground and the the justice system will drag you, you know, through the pave on the pavement in the in the jail cells or whatever. I just thought that was an awesome one because that's like he won. That that was that was victory at its best to me.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah, that that was I mean, that, that whole ending fight scene was just so cool. You, awesome? got to oh, see, yeah. you got to see Fisk fight for the first time that entire season, basically, mm-hmm. and then you got to see, you know, all this build-up finally kind of come to a release. But yeah, yeah. yeah I agree that that's, that was probably one of the best moments in the entire yeah. season. Yeah. Johnny?
1: I have one particular moment that I just, I loved so much that I kind of want to talk about. It was such a short moment in the whole thing, and it was when Matt was in the prison and he goes to get checked up for a concussion from getting hit and he's in the room with the doctor and he hears the door lock and he looks up at the camera and the camera turns to him and then the doctor goes to stab him with the syringe just like Mm -hmm. that moment of it was kind of a moment where everyone knew what was going on like it was clear fisk knew matt was daredevil that matt knew he was being set up that like all the pieces just kind of fell in line in that one spot, and it was just this beautiful, like, 20-second scene of everyone just being aware of how screwed each other was.
0: Yeah, and then following that scene is one of the greatest fight scenes that's ever happened. Yeah, it it might even
1: exceed the hallway fight
0: scene. It might. I'm still debating that. That that, that fight scene was really, really good. But yeah, I see how that moment, you know, that was finally the moment where we're like, uh, you know, because the whole time we're going back and forth, you know, was it right for the FBI to take Wilson Fisk out of prison to use him to, to bring down other people? And the whole time we're questioning it and we're suspicious of Fisk. And then at that moment we realize, okay, Fisk has the whole prison it's, under his they're belt. They're
1: all being played. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'd say one of my favorite moments in particular was the interaction between. Uh, Bullseye or uh, Benjamin Point Dexter and Agent Nadim towards the end of the uh, the season when uh, uh, Point Dexter finally kills Nadim, um, I felt like that moment uh, with, threw me threw me for a roller coaster because you know you want at least me personally I wanted Nadim to live so badly because you know he he he'd stuck up for the right thing and he has a family and and you've he cared gave about up everything him. for the he right did, thing yeah, yeah. and. To just see him just get shot like that, you know? He just he just went out with nothing. And, and he went out assuming that Wilson Fisk was still going to win, you know? He went out knowing that people were going to say things about him that would discredit him and his family. And he just went out with all of this trauma. And, and it, it was just so emotional. And it was sad. And then to see Point Dexter barely even react to that, you know? Killing the man who who has done so much good for the FBI, an organization that Point Dexter at one time had to believe in, um, to see just the lack of empathy on his face. And, and even maybe a small amount of pleasure from killing Nadim. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that moment was just really spooky, and, and the loss of Nadim was really hard to deal with. But yeah, just that was a really good moment for Point Dexter to just really show his his true villainous colors. And I really like that. Um, the next thing is I kind of want to talk about characters in particular that you that you really liked that you connected with as well, just like with the scenes. Um, I'm thinking we should, bo- oh, we should all pick one main character, uh, and then we should all pick maybe one more uh, supporting character, and kind of just talk about what what those characters meant to us and who was our favorite. We'll just go in the same order. Uh yeah sure um main uh, for main
2: character like I, I know we've been talking about how like Matt had ha- like had these really like weird like self monologue um you know screw the world like forget you know religious justice kind of moments but throughout the throughout season one and season two we've, we've always seen Matt Murdock as this um very morally centered character um you know he fought against Frank Castle's belief of killing people off and he was so keen on keeping Grotto if you remember Grotto rooftops, and he's so keen on keeping him alive, even, yeah, even after hearing what he'd done by you know killing that old lady that was in his house and whatnot or in her house. And um seeing this uh, this morally centered Matt Murdoch just turn completely around and to see that other side of him that if there were no moral bounds on him, like that's what he would become was very interesting to see. granted, I would have loved to see that go up like an extra ten like steps and to see how bad he would have gotten with that mentality of, you know, like, only I'm the devil. Like I can only I can end.
0: I yeah. I'd completely agree with you there. I wish Matt's character would have been pushed more. Right. Like I agree with that. And I think we keep talking about this, and it's so hypothetical, and it's so hard to talk about. But the death of Karen Page yeah. would have pushed him over the edge. Oh, like like, would we be able to justify him killing Kingpin if Bullseye had killed Karen Page, right. or if he killed Bullseye? Like those situations are so hard to talk about because it's all hypothetical. But I feel like something that would have pushed Matt even further into fighting that that instinct to want to kill someone yeah. just would have been so much better. Exactly. Huh? I
1: had, I mean, I had some struggles with that, like with Matt's character and and the way they they painted him as this like I'm I'm so anti God now, you know, down with kingpin, whatever, uh, whatever it costs, I'm gonna kill this guy. I never. Throughout the whole series, I never felt like it was genuine because Matt's behavior leading up to it and and interacting day to day with everyone never changed. Like, we never saw him even put someone in the hospital or, like, come close to hurting anyone seriously leading up to the fights or anything. He just, he behaved the same way. He still pulled his punches against everyone. He still, you know, he still wasn't willing to, like, corrupt himself. He was just... It was just vocally he was so adamantly like, I'm against God, I'm going to kill Fisk. But none of his actions really portrayed that. And that kind of like, it made me feel like he was never going to hurt anyone. Well,
0: yeah, and we can even psychoanalyze that. Maybe he was making those kinds of accusations just to get Foggy and Karen to be back on his side. Or somehow that was some sort of mode to get attention from them, to bring his friends back into his life. You know, maybe he was never actually going to kill anybody, but he wanted an
1: excuse
0: to 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 have friends back in his life, telling yeah. him
1: what not to do. I just, I like, I, I would have loved a moment where he just like drops a guy off a roof, mm-hmm. and even, even like a roof that's small enough he knows it won't kill him. But there's that like moral question of like, oh, he was willing to go that far for once. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I can ask, would you say um, what's his name? The father,
2: the father that gets killed in the mm-hmm. church. Would you say that the reason why Matt was pulling his punches ultimately and not going the extra? Mile to like extreme violence. Do you think that that father was like the reason why Matt was pulling his punches?
1: Let's go into a segue so I can talk about one of my favorite main characters, the yes, mother. Oh, oh yeah, Matthew's Maggie. mother, Maggie. 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 Maggie yeah. Yep. Uh, I think I think she was the grounding factor. Honestly, yep. I I think she was what kept pulling him back, especially as okay. soon as he found out she was his mother. Like leading up to that moment, he didn't have his strength really. He couldn't fight. And then he finds out she's also his mom, so I think it kind of grounded him a little bit and gave him that sort of hope internally, yes. and I think she was the real factor that stopped him from from converting too far from, like, passing these, like, un, unpassable lines, you know? But was it his mother or the, the, the father, the, the father man that, like, that kept um, saying... 'Cause I just remember
2: when Maggie set up that boxing that boxer to come in and spot with him, like the father was against it. Like, Oh, father, absolutely. And he was like in that one scene when Matt is just standing at the door of the, the mass, like the father, the father is like, you know, like try to like find that religious self again and Matt is like, I'm the devil now, like I'm dear devil. Mm-hmm. So I feel like maybe I don't know if I'm mistaken, would it wasn't Maggie the one trying to push
1: him a little bit further? I think I, Maggie was pushing him to get back to himself. <laughs> I think okay. I think she knew if they let him sulk too long, if he if he didn't have that capability to go out and do good, he would have lost himself. I think that's okay. what she was pushing for, is that mm-hmm. this is his purpose, this is what defines him. Like, doing good and helping people is is his path. Like, that's what lets him feel better, that's what keeps him on the street. And if we take that away from him, if we don't give him the opportunity yeah. to help people, he's gonna go too far. He's gonna, by the time he's able to go out and do it, all of the all of the question of is it worth it, all of the question of like, am I doing the right thing, it's gonna be gone. He's going okay. to have forgotten about it and he's gonna start hurting people. That's exactly
0: what I was gonna say is is I feel like Maggie knows how much of Daredevil is a part of Matt and she knows that if she pushes him away from that from that identity, then that in the long run is gonna hurt him more than embracing Daredevil and embracing who he actually is. Yeah, I completely agree nice. with you.
1: It was like he said in the scene, um, when Daredevil was dead, Matt was dead. Mm-hmm. Like that—that that yeah. was the connection, right. and that—and she knew that she knew that there was no Matt without Daredevil. Wow. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that.
0: Uh, the the next character that I want to talk about is a character that I was super impressed with. Um, side character, kind of, kind of a main character in between was Agent Nadim. Mm-hmm. Um, he was honestly had one of my favorite story arcs in any of of the Marvel series because normally in a series like this you just see you just assume that the police are corrupt somehow but you actually got to see the progression and and how how something like that could actually happen because you're always as an audience member having to suspend your disbelief and say okay somehow that cop just got into it like and then we we just stop there. But with Agent Nadim, we got to see this whole story arc about how Wilson took over his life and why he's doing the things he's doing. And then at the end of it, he has this amazing redemption arc that then just ends in his death. It just ends. And so he's never truly redeemed. And even the heroes of the show, they don't even get to redeem him. He just
1: dies. They do, soon. though. They do, though. And I think Nadim knew that. There's well a...
0: he redeemed himself with the with the video. Exactly, with yeah, the video. Exactly. He
1: knew that. That's why he stayed at the house. He yeah. knew that. Like, Nadim's a cop. He knows that, like the the whole the the dying confessional is is more than hearsay in court. Like he there's no way he didn't know that. He waited at the house. He knew he was gonna be killed. He knew that the only way this video was gonna be taken seriously, the only way to bring down Fisk was to give up himself. This and that was death. his redemption. Yeah. That was,
0: that's true, yeah. He sacrificed, yeah. I can see that. He sacrificed himself for the greater good, basically, mm-hmm. to kill Wilson Fisk. And that's why he's such an interesting character is because, you know, at first he he's just such a good guy. A family man giving money to people. Can't get a promotion because he's being such a good guy giving money to people. And now, you know, he – and then you find out that Wilson's been behind this whole – orchestrated psychological plan this whole time where where Nad- he knew nadim was going to be so distraught for success that he could use that to gain his freedom from the prison which is so interesting to think about how how wilson could plan something like that and know exactly what's going to happen
1: it's but, funny too because if you if you look at it from like i don't know it, it's why i think there were so many moments in this the the series that as a whole it played together so well, but the individual parts weren't that great because we as audience members were being played right along the whole time. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know that when Nadim walked into her office and she handed him Fisk's file for the first time. That she was already on that his she payroll. Was, yeah, that she was already on his payroll. That she was like, this is what we have to do. We have to get Nadim in there. Like, Fisk is telling me to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah. the whole thing was orchestrated from the beginning and as audience members, we weren't clued into that till the end.
0: Yeah. Which is insane. And it's insane to think that Nadim was able to fight out of those kinds of restraints. And was able to fight even though everything in his life was being threatened. Um, and I just think that, honestly, he had one of the biggest heroic story arcs in the entire season. He was, he was the tragic hero of the season. Um, I, I think more so than Matt. You yeah, know, he, yeah. he made the ultimate sacrifice to take Fisk down and i i
1: mean if it weren't for nadim too i think matt might have killed fisk in that last moment Mm -hmm. because it's it's a redemption story of the corruption it's saying that we can trust our system even with this corruption there will be one or two good people that fight to the end to bring him down and so after seeing that and knowing that nadim gave up everything i I don't think there's any way matt could have gone through with it Mm -hmm.
0: yeah the next segment is going to just be asking a little bit uh going to be asking tougher questions about this season and how we can relate pop culture things like tv shows and comic books and movies and relate those to uh real world experiences and how these types of things uh transcend more than just entertainment uh, how they make political statements how they make statements about trauma uh all of the above and we really want to dive into that and uh i feel like we've Scratched the surface on past episodes of diving into the the harder questions that kind of surround these these TV shows and these these themes and stories. And now I really just want to kind of get into it, and I want to uh, talk about our opinions about the season and and how it truly affects our culture, uh, because because pop culture news, pop culture anything has such a profound effect on us now that it's important to to reflect on it and ask ourselves questions and say how is this actually changing society around us uh the first question is uh what does this season say or is trying to say about the the current political environment we are facing and should superhero shows try and make political statements and the the moment that i'm specifically referring to that i think we should try and focus on is when Wilson Fisk makes his first uh, public appearance yeah. in speech he walks up to the podium and kn- you at this point you know all the corrupt things that he's done he walks up to the podium and he says basically I, mean, I don't know the exact words but he basically says don't believe all the fake news that you're being fed about me mm-hmm. um, and that that couldn't have been more politically topical than <laughs> than anything no, so um, well well let's let's Take that question backwards. Should superhero shows try and make political statements like that one from that moment?
1: I'm going to answer this with uh, an analogy, a metaphor, an example of something I saw earlier today Uh, and relate this back to some other pop culture stuff. I saw today the Division 2 developers, uh, Ubisoft, they came out and made a public statement that making political statements in video games is bad for business. And I, I was upset by this. I mean, first of all, they're de- the developers of Far Cry Five, which, at its, its start was supposed to be like a huge political statement, but then they copped out of it. And I think, I think if you're making art, if you're making something to be consumed by the public, that it's kind of your job as a creator to make a stand for something and, and let people know what you believe in and present them with sides of your argument. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No matter how you work that into the storytelling or, or what you're doing whether it's political, whether it's emotional, whether it's, you know, uh, something about daily life, I I think it's important to have something you believe in and stand by those values as creators.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'd say, you know, everybody can probably guess what what my opinion about this is, but yes, 100% pop culture should be making political statements because this is some of the most widely consumed media that is out there today, and you know if, if our media is just trying to be completely neutral then then we're not growing from what we're doing we're just mindlessly being entertained by whatever we're doing mm-hmm. and if if we can't look at the things we love and say how can this push me to change the way I'm thinking or or give me different perspectives then then like what am i doing here in the first place you know there should always be a little bit of room to say you know what is this actually saying, and, and how can I relate to this in my real life, mm-hmm. um, and and how can I relate it to the current political environment we're in? That way, I can I can start formulating an opinion that is truly my own, just from consuming, you know, all of these different things.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well said from both of you, man. Like I'd have to say the same. Like I think superhero shows and video games alone should definitely try to make these political statements. Not not because it's a, it's kind of like our obligation to, and it's something that the public will. You see, but it's because we'd be missing a huge advantage of not making political statements. Uh, you guys just mentioned that, you know, Ray Nadeem may have contributed more to Fisk's downfall than Matt Murdock ever did. And the matter and it took Matt Murdock how many years to try to take Fisk down compared to what Nadeem accomplished in a series of weeks or months right after bringing Fisk out of jail and bringing him his power up again. Um, superhero shows and video games have this amazing amazing way of like heightening the abilities of the common folk mm-hmm. you know and and by seeing Nadeem see what he did like even my mom and I when we were watching we were like this is amazing like, I wish we had more people like this out there yeah When the truth is there are people out there they're just not being um, you know they're not being uh, what's the word they're not being shown through the media yeah and, um, and I just say we yeah, one more thing Um, that moment when Fisk was speaking I totally love that moment too because when <laughs> Fisk was speaking about all these fake news and then we see the moment when Karen tries to spill this information. I mean, let's just put aside the fact that all those people were on Fisk's payroll, but like nobody believed her. Mm-hmm. They believed this man with power and this bold voice and this um, reputation he's had around the city, rather than someone who has uh, a, a potential of getting these this credible information to bring Fist down. But they didn't believe in her. Mm-hmm. And so I think, yeah,
0: yeah, I really like what you said about Nadine because, you know, anybody who watched that. I think we're forced to ask themselves, uh, should I follow the system if the system's wrong? Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, an overlying theme throughout the entire show because you have the dispute between Foggy and Matt about Foggy saying, we're going to trust the system and we're going to put Wilson Fisk away. And then Matt, on the other hand, saying, no, we tried the system and it's not going to work because he's just going to get back out.
1: Yeah, the system is broken. We can't trust it. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. And then Nadim... Learned that the system was broken and he had to go against the system, but not really. Like, he technically used the system, but he had to die to make his statement. Yeah. You know? yeah.
1: yeah. He just, it, it, it goes down to Nadim knew the system better mm-hmm. and Nadim knew how to make the system work. Yeah. While exactly. Foggy and Matt don't. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk about um, the moment specifically where he's sitting at the, uh, uh, where he's making the public speech and he specifically says fake news. Uh, Wilson Fisk does and you know that's a direct correlation I don't think anybody d- is denying that that is a direct cor- correlation oh, to, yeah, to Donald Trump and his current office yeah. um, I
1: mean if you if you look at the parallels to it, it sounds kind of funny but the parallels to Fisk and Donald Trump it it's remarkable how similar the two of them are yeah. they're both like people who have no experience in what they're doing they're just people who have wealth and people who know how to use that wealth to control the system. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're using that wealth to amass power, to amass authority, to to find their place in the system and continue to use that wealth to control the system in a way that ultimately does nothing but acquire them more wealth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think
0: that if, if you look at, at Wilson Fisk, if we're making a direct comparison of Wilson oh, Fisk do and Donald Trump, yeah, let's do it. Um... Yeah, I think Wilson Fisk does – uses the same tactics that Donald Trump is using right now um, to to gain political power and and resources and and not necessarily to the same dramatized extent that we see in the show. We don't know that. Um, But yeah, you definitely see parallels to discrediting media, discrediting the news, um, using – things like that getting getting dirt on people to to make sure that they don't talk uh things like that preventing investigations that that would discover something about your past that would that would leave you liable to something i feel like wilson fisk definitely handles it in a way that is more suave and elegant and smart um while Donald Trump has kind of just read the same book as Wilson Fisk, it's just, like, yeah. using the same tactics, not to the same extent that Wilson Fisk does. Hopefully not, because um, he's a supervillain, but, uh, but, yeah. Any hey,
1: supervillains can exist in the real world, I'm just saying. Hey, we'll, we'll, we'll
0: get into that later, but, uh, but yeah, I mean.
1: Yeah, if I
2: can say, like, they, they, they both use the public, the media, and the public as, like, their Apollo's bow. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, in, in in season one, we, let's just recall the moment that Missus Cardenas was murdered by a, a man that Fisk hired through James Wesley, and we see Matt in his apartment, like look, like watching Fisk or like, watching Fisk on the TV making this statement, and he's like, he's like, he's just pissed because, ultimately, Fisk is saying the daredevil did this, I didn't do this, and I care for Miss Cardenas. I wish we had more good people like Miss Cardenas in this city to mm-hmm. stand up. For mm-hmm. her. You
0: know,
1: yeah. yeah, it's the idea of villainizing. Uh it to to put it in the in the scale of the way we do it in the real world versus the way they do it in there, it's it's villainizing Daredevil the way we villainize groups of people. Exactly. It's saying the blame isn't on me, our system's not broken, the system works great because I'm benefiting from it. So let me tell you what the problem is so you can yeah. focus your anger elsewhere. Mm-hmm. It's a scapegoat. It's that's it exactly what no, it is.
0: The next political issue that i wanted to talk about is kind of overarching between all of the netflix series the defenders in general um we see so currently to, in today's political environment we see a lot of kind of anti-cop rhetoric uh just being thrown around out there but mm-hmm. uh, i i wanted to make the argument that in these shows we see this rhetoric that is extremely cop positive we see cops and detectives who are really good people trying to do the right thing. And I think that's important to realize is that even though this show made a political stand against Donald Trump, they're still easing back. Well, not even easing back. They, they made another political statement in saying that, that cops are here to protect and serve. And I'm just wondering what your, what your all opinions is about that as well. Um,
2: yeah, and I definitely agree with that, like, especially with Brett Mahoney's journey from season one to season three, Mm -hmm. and seeing how, um, how at first he was reluctant to kind of side with Daredevil, but even before Daredevil even sprung up, he was just a cop trying to do the right thing, Mm -hmm. and as soon as Daredevil came, became this symbol of of justice, and this huge, you know, um, I don't know if advocator is the the word, but like, this huge advocate of justice, I think that encouraged Brett Mahoney and his whole squad of police officers across the city to, to kind of rise up, um... And you know, really reject Fisk's influence. And I think the part of rejecting Fisk's influence is what stood out to me the most when it came to the, you know, the police enforcement aspect of the show.
1: Well, it's the idea of, and I think it's what they're doing so successfully is, they present both sides of the argument. They're they're not just saying all cops are awful people who are just going to do what they want, and mm-hmm. you know, they're corrupt and evil. And they're not just saying all cops are really good people. They're saying like we have these issues, like there there are flaws in our system. Some people are using the system for their own benefit, no matter what level it's on. Whether you're a cop, whether you're an FBI agent, whether you're a vigilante, whether you're you know Wilson Fisk or, or Donald Trump to bring that parallel. Uh, they're they're saying that these these problems are inherent within our system, mm-hmm. but also we have people that fight tooth and nail for the right thing that joined these these institutes and these systems for good and to to utilize the systems in the way they were intended to bring justice to people to to take down corruption to look after their fellows and support each other and be there to protect us and mm-hmm. i think that's one thing that it does so well is it presents both sides of the argument yeah. and i'd be i'd be really interested to hear uh like a big city cop's perspective on a show like Daredevil because i'd be curious cuz some of them are aware of the issues in the institute and like the corruption and you know, there's stigmas of cops aren't doing real work, they're just out giving tickets because they have to meet quotas because money's more important to our judicial system than actually helping us. And I'd be interested to see how a cop's perspective of seeing those parallels and, and like, does it sway anyone's actual opinion? Is it, is it making uh, people involved in our justice system think about these things? Is it making them question like, Should I just be going along with this, or should I be standing up to the institute? Should I be fighting against it? You know, I could lose my job, I could lose my home and my family. But should I be fighting for what's right rather than fighting to survive?
0: Mm Hmm. Yeah. Um. Let's move on to the next question. Um. This question is Matt not only represents people with disabilities, but also the Catholic religion. Uh, is this important or not important that this kind of representation, uh, and, you know, what, what are your thoughts about, about showcasing someone who's religious like Matt in, in a show like this?
2: So I'm not, I'm not exactly the most religious, religion pro individual. (laughs) I was going to say, I'm not really an expert. I'm (laughs) not religious or disabled, but, (laughs) but, um, I think, um, it's important when it comes to him and his character, I think um, when it when it comes to the the dilemmas of uh, what do I believe in now when I go up against people I like, fix like Visk? do I compromise the the goodness that I so believed in since childhood and the the only thing that kept me straight on my feet as you said, or do I compromise that completely and just go berserk on everyone I see? Um, I think what it says about the Catholic religion in this in this particular season is the the sort of persistence of faith, and how, in this case, Matt didn't really have faith in God, let's say, but he had faith in Karen, and he had faith in Foggy, and he had faith in Nadim, and he had faith in the public, really. Um, yeah, so that's obviously not a straightforward answer, but I think what it, what the Catholic religion does display is this persistence of faith, and that it's very important to keep faith, as a, you know, a, you know, an important part of your this sort of you know your tool belt.
0: It's also – it's a very Catholic idea to say that nobody is is past redemption. Like everybody mm-hmm. has a chance for redemption. That's a very Catholic belief. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Matt kind of had to fight his own Catholic belief when he was trying to answer the question, is Fisk worthy of redemption to him? Um, and and in, the, in the Catholic religion, we would have to say yes. You know, Wilson Fisk can still – try and, and get redemption, because yeah. that that's what the Catholic faith says. Um, as far as the disability, I think it's really important, this kind of representation of someone with a disability. Um, it's important because it, it brings to light a, an issue that then becomes um, a superpower, basically. It, it lets people with disabilities you know, be brought to to the light and to say that their disabilities aren't hindering them from being a person in this world, but rather they can be a positive. Right. Well, can I ask you a
1: question on that? Mm -hmm. How do you feel then about the moments in the show when Matt plays the dumb blind guy?
0: I think Matt is not... Matt is fully aware that... That his blindness still hinders him in some way, and I think people with disabilities are aware of that too. But when the disability is is put in the spotlight and is is being shown as a superpower, then it's a little bit different. You know, that's just a part of Matt's character is that he has to be able to blend in with society as a blind person, and in a way he uses that disability to his advantage and turns it into a good thing by. Allowing it to to keep his identity secret and things like that, it, it's almost another layer of being able to take advantage of his disability. Something that oftentimes will take advantage of you, and he's just kind of. I think that's a way of, for him to take power back from something that might be hindering him. I
2: think it's interesting that you brought that up because that the the portion of the season where he's playing the dumb blind guy isn't really until the end of the season three. Mm-hmm. In the beginning of the season, he was. He played the guy that could see, even he when he was blind. Like when he went to the prison to you know ask get information about Fisk, um, or when he went to the hotel to try to kill Fisk. You know what I mean? Um, I don't know if it, if it's justifiable that he plays the dumb blind guy, but I think in Singo's words, it, it does help him to kind of uh, blend in with the society and really hide his alter ego, so that when he does have those like investigative moments, it's it's not from a guy who has these superpowers, but from uh, just an
0: attorney, just a lawyer who's blind and is really good at acquiring information. And his disability is never like, I I keep making the mistake of calling it a superpower. It's not his disability that's the superpower. The disability still is a disadvantage yeah. for him. Yeah, He's just learned ways to, to cope with it, and, you know, and to be a superhero and I think that's an important message to people with disabilities is you don't have to be hindered by your disability. Exactly.
1: You don't have to be defined by it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um,
0: the next question that I want to move on to is kind of a big one. It's, uh, uh, is the trauma shown throughout multiple of the characters' lives, i.e. Karen Page, Matt Murdock, Ben Dexter, just important to st- uh, storytelling, or could they have a deeper meaning to society?
2: Um, I think there are three different ways you can word that. I think with Karen Page, it's focused really on facing consequences and learning to make up for your mistakes. With Matt Murdock, it's it's just the persistence of uh, faith in the system and the public. And with Ben Poindexter, I, I think it's just... uh Ben Poind- Poindexter's tough because he is a villain, but at the same time, he's just gone through things that he really shouldn't have gone through inevitably, which I could say about Karen, but at the same time, Karen made a choice. And you know what I mean? Karen made a choice. Matt, um... In, in the same way, in the same kind of trajectory as Poindexter's past, he, he was put in this situation, but he used whatever he could to fight his way out of it and keep him on his feet, straight on his feet, which was being Daredevil, which is beating these guys to pulp because, um, you know, the justice system wasn't going to handle those criminals themselves. But when it comes to people like Karen Page, there is um, this indication of you screwed up and there is going to be a day where you will have to face those consequences in a very severe manner. Um... So uh, they were important to storytelling in that manner, and as far as deeper meaning, I think it just speaks to people in general. You know, are our consequences ones we have to face because we committed them, or are there ways to cope with consequences even when we don't have control of making, you know, you know, making these mistakes in our lives?
0: Yeah, I think yeah, I think Benjamin Point Dangster is a really interesting character to, to talk about in regards to this question because. He is someone who suffers from mental health issues, um, which many people do, and he's been put into a position of power, a position of trust, even though he doesn't know if he can fully trust his own actions and what he's going to do in the future. He has very little control over what he's going to do, and uh, he's looking for someone to kind of guide him in the right direction, and Wilson, through political scheming, is able to... To put himself in the position that can guide Poindexter, his North Star, um, my struggle with right Point Dexter
1: as a character and, and his mental illness is that they made it very clear from the beginning that Poindexter knew he was being played. Like he was aware of it, but he still let it happen. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think Fisk played any part of it because I think there were moments where we saw, you know, Poindexter was angry at him. Poindexter knew what he was doing. Poindexter was just looking for an excuse to behave the way he wanted to behave. Um, okay. And I, I think that's that's what unintentionally Fisk didn't know what he was doing, and that's why ultimately Poindexter flips on him at the end because Poindexter doesn't care. He just he wants an excuse to justify his actions.
0: Yeah. Well, he which well with with the. the particular kind of mental yeah, illness yeah. he has, he needs someone to be there to tell him what he's supposed to do. He needs some sort of routine and, and someone to talk to. Um, and he just doesn't have that. And when Wilson kind of flips on him, he then goes back into this primal rage that we saw w- before he started therapy where he didn't know how to control his actions. And and he just kills people when he gets angry. And well, gets the frustrated. argument could
1: be made that he never had that. He artificially created one. Mm-hmm. And and then all Fisk did was confront him with the idea that it wasn't real Mm -hmm. uh and so i don't i don't think fisk ever needed or poindexter never needed a moral compass poindexter had a little help like poindexter knew the way society wanted him to behave and he fought tooth and nail to fit into that model of how society wanted him to behave but as soon as he was given a way out he took it Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that speaks more to, to the mental illness and what they were trying to capture, uh, because it's, it's clear that they were trying to paint him as like, uh, a textbook sociopath, you know, he, he lacks empathy for other people. And that's the biggest problem is, Mm -hmm. is he, he doesn't care the consequences of his actions. So doing things like stealing, hurting people, killing them, it doesn't affect him emotionally. And so he's okay with it if it benefits him in some way. And so I think what happened was, what what they showed with Poindexter was this idea of he found a way to use people to benefit himself positively. Through the FBI, he helped people. It made him feel better about himself. Uh, he, he never truly cared, though. And as soon as he was presented with the opportunity to step outside of that, to take what he wants without having to confined to what society allows as soon as he was given the mask that's when he changed
0: mm-hmm. yeah and, and like to expand on that further what do you think that that can say about like our, our society and mental health issues now like you know should should we be more compassionate for people with mental health issues or people who we suspect might have mental health issues and be there to try and help them or, or do we get the situation where without guidance, someone like Benjamin Poindexter can all of the sudden turn into, I mean, the the biggest, most topical example is a mass shooter, you know, mm-hmm. like what's, is the, is the question of someone, someone who eventually is going to meditate and commit a crime like mass shooting, um, is there a way to think about it where maybe if someone was there for them beforehand, someone to talk to them, someone to help them through that, that maybe that wouldn't have happened?
1: I'm I'm always a huge advocate. for. We should always reach out for, to other people. We should always help them out when we can, uh, especially with things like mental illness and mental health issues. A lot of people... One, don't even know they have them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And two, don't know how to cope or deal with them or, you know, medication for them is impossible to get right. You have to try and try and try. 90% of the time, you get worse before you get better. And it's like a reoccurring cycle. So I'm a huge advocate for we should always be there for each other and support them. I, I think the issue comes from a societal understanding and an unawareness of how to communicate and help people with mental illness and understanding that mental illness is unique to the individual, that some people may just need a friend to reach out and talk to them every day. Some people may need a hug. Some people may need someone that can tell them, look, that was wrong. You should you should focus on doing better, while other people may not need that kind of person in their life. Maybe they just need to be left alone. Maybe they need, you know, someone who who's just there for them but won't say anything, you know, mental Mental illness it it affects everyone differently, and I think it's a huge thing in society. And I think it's something that the show was trying to capture is that people with severe mental health issues and mental illnesses they they aren't necessarily always in control. Uh, like, and I don't mean like they're not in control of their actions. I mean they as a person don't agree with what they're doing fundamentally, but they don't know how to stop it. They, they, they know something's wrong. They know that, you know, as, as Poindexter pointed out, like, he felt good when he hurt his coach, but he knew it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew I shouldn't have... I knew I shouldn't feel this way. I know it shouldn't make me excited to kill animals and hurt people, but something inside me says it's okay. So mm-hmm. how do I work past that? And I think mm-hmm. that's something that we as a society... Fail to understand that the show was trying to portray is that, like, just because someone has something wrong with them and they feel this way or they do these things, it doesn't necessarily mean they're a bad person. It doesn't mean what they're doing is negative. It doesn't mean that they're a problem to society, that we can still help them. We can still treat them like people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry, that was a lot. No, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> let's,
0: let's, uh, Let's move on to the next question. Um, This is a really interesting question, one that I'm really excited to answer is, is Kingpin's level of control plausible? And to what extent is that kind of corruption possible? God, I love these questions. Uh, I could
1: talk all fucking day. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Um, You know, how believable was Kingpin's... Control, you know, because he had control over everything, and and that's because he had dirt on literally everybody. Not necessarily dirt, but he was blackmailing, threatening, had dirt, whatever it was, on almost everybody that was involved, and that's how he kept control. And that he's just relying on the fact that nobody is going to break from that, you know. Uh, you said something really interesting earlier when we were kind of going over the questions was. You said, yeah, that level of of corruption is totally possible because you've seen it in other countries. Oh, yeah.
2: We see it in our own country. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Like, I'm not going to go too much into history, but, like, back then, especially in Saddam Hussein's regime in the Middle East, like, he threatened anyone who was going to affiliate themselves with the United States government because that was betrayal to him and his nation. Granted, Saddam was a very patriotic man, so he loved his country dearly, but. If anyone even displayed an indication of going against, even if it wasn't going against, even if it was just helping, but if it wasn't rooted in the traditions of that culture, then he was immediately going to slice their heads or put them in prison, anything like that. So, especially in dictatorships, especially in those kind of like third world countries, we, you can, you can literally tr- travel overseas, buy a ticket right now, and. You'll be able to see like that there is a history of that kind of corruption.
0: Yeah, I think in North Korea right now. North
2: Korea, yeah, Yeah. exactly, especially in North Korea. So um, the way Fisk's corruption was presented is, um, you know, again back with the political statements, it's very parallel, very parallel with what we uh, what we see in other countries, um, you know, across the Atlantic.
0: Yeah, I think uh, you definitely see. The suspicions and questions coming up around our own presidency right now is these questions of, well, is there more that's happening that we like that the American people don't quite know? Of course, there's the FBI investigation into Trump and Russia and the coer- the coercion during the uh, campaigns. Um, there's still a lot of questions revolving around that, and and FBI investigations in going into that and you know there's a lot of questions surrounding that and, and we see the parallels in this show where there is a lot of questions being asked about Wilson Fisk and what he's done and he just simply denies what he's done and then tells everybody that you know you can't believe what they're saying mm-hmm. um, and somehow that's supposed to win back uh, the public
1: yeah. yeah. the only comment I'll make to avoid speaking for another like 30 minutes is <laughs> I don't think it's not only plausible it's incredibly real and happens and it's in fact, easier than they show in the film Mm. they dramatize it in the film to make it look like a spectacle but all it really takes in the real world is deep pockets and a big gun Mm -hmm. yeah big guns you don't need to blackmail a whole bunch of people you don't need dirt on them you just need a pistol and 20 bucks yeah yeah.
0: so like in in the way is it plausible maybe we don't know because it was so dramatized but is it possible yes yeah it's very possible and and it's happening it's happening. You know mm-hmm. that people are as evil, if not more evil, than Wilson Fisk, and currently they're scheming and and doing all of these things that corrupt politics and and corrupt the nations they're representing. Uh, let's move on to the next question. Um, Ben Point Dexter, we kind of talked about this a little bit, but Ben po- Point Dexter suffers from extreme mental disorder. So, does that mean he is past redemption? What does Matt think about this?
2: Um, if I can answer the second part of this question, mm-hmm. I would definitely s- think that Matt, even with his Catholic belief on his shoulders um, or his Catholic morals on his, like in the back of his head, he doesn't really care. He he will go do anything to put P- Point Dexter down. Um, and just a, not an, a, an exact example, but in the first season when Mrs. Cardenas is killed off and just before the fight with Nobu in the warehouse mm-hmm. he goes to that crack house and he sees this man so like amazingly screwed up by the heroin or whatever he was putting in his body that Daredevil literally Matt literally picks him up throws him through like uh, to another room into his shards of glass and starts beating on him for information. So, yeah. um,
0: I'd actually disagree with you a little bit about yeah. that he doesn't think at this point in the series I think Matt still thinks Point Dexter might be have a sliver of redemption left in him because he calls, he tries to warn point Dexter. He tries to turn what well, he does. He turns point Dexter on Wilson. Oh God. Uh, I have comments
1: about that. Just story wise. Yeah.
0: <laughs> with the, with the whole Julie thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that was Matt maybe saying, Hey, you were wronged. You have a chance to fix it. Uh, maybe that was Matt's way of saying, Hey, you, you still have a chance for redemption. By turning on Wilson
1: Fisk. I really want to hear what John. Okay. Wants to uh, say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's like jumping in a seat over there. I am, I don't. I don't think that was the intent at all, and I think it was sloppy storytelling <laughs> at that point on, because I think the intent and what it wanted to showcase was that was Matt's. That was Matt crossing the line. That was Matt's final moment. Matt was like,
0: like Matt was gonna kill. No, keep no. In proxying.
1: Matt was using Poindexter to kill Fisk at that point. Yeah, I that's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was like, "Here's all the information you no- need. I know you'll go there and finish get the John job. Hands dirty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm gonna give you everything and send you really? there so he will die. Yeah. Huh. I
0: guess I'm a little more naive in thinking that Matt was just trying to like give Point Dexter one last
1: chance. But there's I don't think there's so no so. other reason Matt would have given him the information unless that he wanted Fisk well, but, to but die. But Matt
0: has listened to Point Dexter's tapes 100%. and maybe... 100%. Maybe, maybe he knows, like, he knows kind of what's going on and maybe Matt was trying at that moment to kind of be
1: his North Star. I, I don't think so. I think, I think Matt knew giving him the information was going to send him to Fisk and make him kill Fisk. Yeah, but then at the ending fight scene, Matt which, keeps stopping... Which is why I think it was lazy storytelling. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because it... They, they wanted Matt to have that redemption. They wanted him to have that moment of fighting Fisk and giving it up. So instead, what they did was they made Matt send Poindexter on him and then sent Matt right after Poindexter to stop him with no storytelling moment in between to create that, like, oh, I did something really bad. I need to stop this.
2: In, in, the, in the second season, Matt was this close to killing Nobu because Nobu simply just killed Electrof. Mm-hmm. You know, and who knows? Maybe we could we could try to justify Nobu. Nobu was just a man who believed in what he was doing, and this cultural myth that he was he felt he was destined to complete mm-hmm. something that Matt sort of has a philosophy about towards his own role as Daredevil in the show of bringing justice to those who you know are apparently like so invulnerable to justice. Um I think I agree with the lazy storytelling in a way just because like um you know that shouldn't really if anything, this helped Matt to bring Fisk down without getting his own hands dirty. Mm-hmm. You know? I
0: think maybe I still have to disagree with you, Johnny, because I think that maybe that was Matt
1: saying, Hey, you could help me take down Fisk. But know? he knew. He Matt Matt isn't a s- dumb guy. He mm-hmm. knows how Poindexter's gonna behave, especially hearing the news that the person he loved was killed by fisk like matt has been in that scenario yeah. matt knows how a person's gonna react to that mm-hmm. so it just felt like he was trying to play poindexter into killing fisk yeah. and then they didn't give him anything in between to try to stop it it's funny because matt was playing fisk at that part, mm-hmm. at that time i was like right after it happened i remember i was watching like the next episode where matt goes there and i was like why matt has no reason to be here Poindexter's already gonna kill Fisk. Like, the only reason Matt would be here is to watch it happen to make sure it goes down. Cause there was no character development in between. There was no moment where Matt was like, I need to stop this. I need to make sure Fisk doesn't die. Yeah. Yeah. Um
0: let's let's go to the next question. Um uh, this is this is a question about Kingpin. Do you think he'll come back? And should we look forward to seeing more Bullseye? We're kind of stepping away from the political stuff and, and slowly going back into the, the story side of things. But yeah, you know, what, what do we expect in the in the next season?
2: I think I think Kingpin is probably gonna be put off for a while. Oh, there's a new Kingpin in town. Yeah, it's Vanessa. Yeah, <laughs> Vanessa. Yeah, now exactly. I think um I think Kingpin in this season kind of had a really effective way of opening the door for another Daredevil universe villain to come through, which was ultimately, um, Bullseye, you know, a bullseye yeah, he's like one of his rivals in the comic books, if I'm not wrong.
1: I just want to see it. Yeah, well, Bullseye's like one of his arch villains, like his <laughs> biggest exactly. villain in the
2: comic books. And, um, yeah, I think we will see more
1: Bullseye. I think, especially at the
2: end when he's getting surgery, um, that Holson was a huge parallel, to how Wolverine gets adamant Because that doctor is the same doctor in the comics who injects mm-hmm. Adamantium into Wolverine's skeleton. Mm-hmm. And so seeing this happen really, really make, made me excited because I'm like, there has to be season four. And God, Bullseye has to click Karen Page because I have to see Matt Murdock mm-hmm. go over <laughs> the edge for once. But yeah, what, what were you going to say? You said you wanted to see... Um,
1: Oh, I just want to see Frank Castle and Bullseye meet. Oh man, two vets, oh, <laughs> <laughs> two vets going at it like that, dude. Really <laughs> awesome. When uh,
0: when Marvel Comics did their last the two reboots ago, uh, they did a, a Punisher comic book where the first issue was Bullseye and, and the Punisher, and it was a really cool Hardly. issue. I
1: just, I, I can't imagine the like civilian fallout from that. Yeah, no, they were trying <laughs> to kill each
0: other. There was car yeah. chases and all sorts of stuff. Um. I'm so excited to see Bullseye in the current season. You know that somehow his powers are going to be amplified in the next season and that Matt's going to have to fight an even harder threat than he has ever had to fight in his entire life, mm-hmm. which is Bullseye. And then also, Bullseye kind of has a vendetta against Karen Page now. And Matt, you know? But
1: also Kingpin.
0: And also Kingpin, yeah.
1: Which is when I think we'll see more Kingpin. You think so? Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, But yeah, Bullseye is such an awesome villain and i wanted to talk about his backstory a little bit because in the comic that his backstory was revealed bullseye's backstory he tells the whole story about playing baseball and then throwing the ball at his coach and killing his coach and then at the end of the comic he says he, he admits that he just made up that whole backstory and so i'm wondering if they're maybe following that because in the comic hmm. book, he doesn't have a concrete backstory. Bullseye, like, is like is like the Joker in that way, where he has no canon backstory, um, and he kind of just exists because he is a pathological liar, and he takes so much pleasure in killing um, that he doesn't really need a back- a backstory. So, but Bullseye He's is a super cool villain.
1: A vil- like, just a a villain.
0: Yeah, and and villains that are villains for the sake of being evil are some of the hardest villains to make believable. Mm-hmm. But this yeah. season did a really good job with, with Bullseye. I agree with that, yeah. Um, last scene, the la- or, sorry, the last question is uh, one that I'm really excited to talk about, uh, kind of a fun, uh, more lighthearted one, is uh, the action scenes in this season were some of the best. Which one was your favorite and who was your favorite to watch fight? I'll let you go. I'm still debating real quick. Give me an extra
2: 30 minutes to debate this one.
0: All right. 30 minutes. I'm I'm going to give a
1: real controversial answer to this. Okay. I liked the bulletin fight. Oh, Oh
0: my God. How's that controversial?
1: Because I just liked Foggy throwing a punch. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's so fun to see Foggy get his hands dirty. (laughs) I never would have expected it, but he just, like, he walks in there ready to hit him and just (laughs) gets laid out. It was beautiful.
0: Yeah. That fight was really cool. But that, the whole I mean,
1: fight leading up, like, oh, the part so of the,
0: beautiful. The part of that fight that I really liked was when Matt was trying to get in cover, and balls I just kept just like, like, throwing paint, staplers, like throwing, office throwing soldiers, like office the, materials, just like the, bouncing the, the him off the
2: baseball. But he's back, just like, like up, up against the like, yeah, oh my god, yeah. But, that but, was, but the
0: cool part was he was just like ominously like walking around the office, just like knowing that as soon as Matt up? pops up, he's gonna like clock him.
1: Yeah, that that was the the whole fight altogether was my favorite but my favorite person to watch fight was Foggy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but um, attorney at law. Yeah. Me but
0: I'd say okay, I have two fights that I really liked. I really liked the ending fight with Wilson when he slams Bullseye into like yeah,
1: the corner and breaks just... his spine.
0: <sighs> yeah, that was that was I felt that. That felt was that crazy. Fear. But my all-time favorite fight and I think everybody everybody's already talked about this but is the prison fight. Right, everybody loves the prison fight. An 11 minute long fight scene. One of take. It wasn't one take. It was in one take. It one was th- take one, buddy. The one whole thing was take. one solid shot. And uh, of Matt completely drugged out of his mind, just getting the, the shit beat out of him and just like punching people and all of that. And just like throwing people into the tables. And you see that like guard just like run by and like trucking people and. And then he gets into the cab at the end of it. Oh, that's the little so details
1: in that fight. Yeah. I think were my favorite because like everyone was fighting. There was so many people just beating the shit out of each other yeah, in the background dude. that you oh, would have just st- missed.
2: Yeah. Oh man, if I yeah if I could say I I was gonna I was gonna debate between a bulletin because seeing Bullseye and Daredevil go at it. I've been waiting for that since the first season <laughs> of the show to see Bullseye come up. But I have to say the prison fight scene just because of the point that you made of. That twenty seconds where the audience is like, oh shit, we already know what's happening right now, and seeing Matt yeah. have to face the consequences, and we get this glimpse of the, the call ends and Matt hears the door unlock and he just gets to, gives like this this like <sighs> fuck me look at the camera, but then like yeah, and he's not at his peak. He's still suffering mm-hmm. from the, the the accident in the defenders. He's still trying to get his abilities back to its peak, and he's he's in a fucking suit the whole time and he's like getting his ass kicked, but he still finds a way to. I just thought all of it was amazing. It showed that even when Matt is knocked down, he has his dad's like, you know, instinct when it comes to fighting. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, man. I thought, yeah, I just thought again, one take, one of the most beautifully filmed fight scenes like ever.
0: Yeah. Well, let's move on to our last thing. We're gonna arbitrarily review <laughs> this season with with some sort of value that doesn't make sense. Because, uh, all. Oh, it makes sense. Oh, oh yeah, Don't lie makes to sense. Them. yeah. They yeah. just have to figure it out. On yep. a
1: scale
2: of oatmeal mm-hmm. cookie to chocolate chip cookie, what are you guys going to give it? <laughs> Ooh, I give it a scotchy. Scotchy. Uh,
0: I give it, like, uh. Like, uh. What are those cookies that, like. Madeline's? Madeline's? Milano? Milano? Oh, I no.
1: I'll
0: give it a manala. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I'll give it a manala. <laughs> manala. <laughs> I'll
0: give it a Lindor truffle. Uh, all right. Um. um the the reason we're doing this review system now is because all pop culture is worth going to to see and to think about later not just thinking about whether or not it was bad or good but thinking about the themes and the things that the 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 comic book or movie or tv show is trying to bring to light and it's important to to recognize those even if you didn't necessarily like it or were entertained by it but uh yeah so thank you for listening uh, thank you, Sean and Johnny, for joining me on today's podcast—a uh, very overdue podcast. But yeah, thank you guys so much.
1: Thank you, thank you so much. Thank you, we love you. Oh, thank, thank you. you for having us. That yeah. was that was really uh, enthusiastic. Sorry, another take. Hold
0: on. Uh, yeah, hold on. Uh, thank you guys for joining us, or Thanks me, me joining me.
2: Thank you, Cinco. We couldn't have done this without you, Cinco. We love you. We
0: you can't see Johnny's face right now, but he's real sincere. He's actually crying right now too.
2: Johnny's I'm weeping. Really, really weeping. I
1: can't. I can't look Cinco in the eyes. There's this big
2: snot bubble that's just coming out of his ear. You might hear
1: it pop in a second.
2: There.
0: Oh, <laughs> oh there it is. Now <laughs> the whole room's covered in yeah. oh. you. You just called me Cinco too. Oh no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> he changed his my, name on us. My, yeah, my my nickname, Cinco. It's all right. Oh, Don't worry God. about it um but yeah stay tuned for future podcasts you can find me on itunes at the bonfire and i primarily upload on soundcloud at the bonfire as well so thank you so much for listening uh this has been the bonfire thanks